Well, good morning. Just wonderful to be with you. And again, if you are, if you're joining with us, if you're tuning in online, just welcome. Thanks for for being part of our service this morning. So, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five. You know, in, in chapter four. As we saw last week, uh, we, we saw persecution, right, coming against the, the church of God, right? Um, and we saw that that persecution resulted in prayer. It resulted in the church coming together, unifying in prayer, right? And that prayer was for boldness. And so we see that, that Satan has been attacking the church, right? And we also see that, that that attack from Satan actually helped the church rather than hurting it, right? Because the response was one of prayer. The response was one of unity, right? So the church comes together, they unify, and they are emboldened in the Lord. So the enemy comes against the church, and the church's response is to draw closer to the Lord and to draw closer to each other. And so I would just ask this morning, as we, as we get into our text this morning, as we consider what's happening here in chapter 5, that, that, you know, these chapter breaks weren't there, right, originally. And this is something that's going on, right, that the church is being actively persecuted by the enemy. And, and so the question I would ask is, how do we respond, right, when the, when the enemy comes against us? What is our response, Right, because the Bible would seem to indicate that that persecution is is not a curse, but rather a blessing. Right? I mean, what does Jesus say in, in Matthew chapter five? Right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So as we as we come into chapter five, just thinking of that, having that in mind, right? That that Satan is now changing his tactics. Right In chapter 4, Satan came against the church from the outside, persecuting the church from the outside. And now in chapter 5, his tactics change a little bit, and he, he begins to come against the church from the inside and to attack it from within, using lies and deceit. So if you have your Bibles, would you read with me as we read the first 16 verses of, of Acts chapter 5? <clears throat> It says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked, answered her, Tell me, 
whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people to those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. And so, Lord, would you just add the, your blessing, Lord, to the reading of your word, and would you just speak and minister to us this morning, Lord, have your way in this place. Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit, and Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So again, right, the enemy is, is coming against the church of God and, and has been persecuting the church, and, and now as we, we enter into chapter 5, we come to this somewhat difficult story, right, where lies and deceit are taking place and where the Lord has to judge um, harshly and strictly with what's going on. And so in these, in these first 16 verses of chapter 5, you know, there, there are three things that I want to drop back and, and look at this morning. Three things that we want to consider in our passage. The first is the problem that we see within the church. The problem that is in the church. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 4. The second thing that I want to look at is the purging of the church. The purging of the church, which we're going to see in verses 5 through 11. And then lastly, we're going to look at the power in the church. We see power in the church in verses 12 through 16. So let's drop back. Let's look at this first thing that we want to consider, and that's the problem. There is a problem within the church. And that problem, at its root, is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy really is, is the, the root of the problem. And it's, it's the, um, in this, this first section that we see in these first four verses that the, the real problem going on is, is hypocrisy. And there's, there's a couple things that we want to consider. There's a couple things we want to look at in, uh, in regards to this problem. The first of which is, is the people that have the problem, right? These, the people with the problem. There are two of them, right? We are given their names there in verse 1, Ananias and Sapphira, right? In verse 1 it says, But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a possession. So there's this, there's this couple within the church, right? Ananias. Interesting, Ananias, his name means God is gracious. His name means God is gracious. And Sapphira, which is where we get the word sapphire, right? her name means beautiful. So God is gracious and beautiful. But this is the couple, right, that has this problem that's within the church, 
And as we've already mentioned, right, that that, that problem is, is hypocrisy. hypocrisy. In Ananias and Sapphira, this, this couple, this is the only place that we have them mentioned in Scripture. It's the only time that we, we hear of this couple is in these, these first 11 verses of chapter 5. We don't, so we don't know much about them, other than, obviously, that they are um, liars and hypocrites, I guess. But they do represent, I think, to us, a sharp contrast. You know, and that's why I wanted to kind of mention chapter 4 to you again, because what happened at the end of chapter 4? What was going on, right? Was that, was that the church was being persecuted? Yes, and that they were praying for boldness, but they were also coming together in unity, right? That, they, that the church came together, that they, 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 they pulled all their resources together so it could be distributed to those who had need. Right? So in that moment, in, in, in this time of persecution, the church came together and said, okay, how can we unify? How can we come together to meet these needs? You know, just as we've been just, just talking a few minutes ago, right? I mean, it's no secret what's going on in the world today. You know, and the fact that we, there are pastors and people stepping out saying, how can we reach out? How can we unify? How can we get together and help and be there at this time of crisis and this time of need? And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what was happening here in the church, right? In, in Acts chapters 4 and 5. Is how can we reach out? How can we meet that need? And so the contrast there is, is at the end of chapter 4, right? This man Barnabas sells his property. He sells his property, and he takes all the proceeds, and he lays it at the disciples' feet, right? He says, here's what I have. Use this for the cause of the gospel. Use this for his kingdom. It's yours, and but what's interesting is the contrast here, right, is that so Ananias and Sapphira are thinking, oh, I can get in on this action. But their heart was slightly different than that of Barnabas, right? So we're told here in verse 1 that Ananias and Sapphira sold a possession, right? So something that belongs to them, right? They have the deed, it's theirs, they own it, and they chose to sell it just like Barnabas did at the end of chapter 4, right, in verses uh, 36 and 37, right? He sold some land, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But this tells us a little bit about the problem, right? Because what Ananias and Sapphira did is a little bit different than one than what Barnabas did. And so there are some, some symptoms, right? Not just the people that have the problem, but there are some symptoms of the problem as well. Right, this problem of hypocrisy. And one of those symptoms is that they kept back a portion of the proceeds. Right, look at verse 2. Right, so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they have this, this uh, well, we're told there in verse 1 that they sold a possession. You know, and as Peter is talking a little bit later in the, in the passage, we're going to learn that they also sold a, a piece of land. And in verse 2, it says that they kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's the contrast, right? Barnabas came and he laid it all at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira do the same thing, but they leave a part of it at the apostles' feet, not all of it. They kept back a portion. And we're going to learn here in a few minutes that that's not necessarily the issue. It's not that they chose to keep a part of it. It was theirs to begin with. They can do what they want 
with it. The problem is deeper, right? Because it's a problem of the heart, right? It was the motive in which Barnabas gave versus the motive in which Ananias and Sapphira gave it. So here we have this, this contrast, right? Barnabas brought all, all of the proceeds and to the apostles, while Ananias and Sapphira only brought a portion of theirs, right? Because they held some of it back. And so, again, the, and I want to make this point clear, that it's, it's not that they kept a portion. That's not the problem. The problem is the hypocrisy that was in their hearts. It was the way in which they brought it before the apostles. They brought it before the apostles as if they had given all, as if it was all of it, right? And they kind of kept it to themselves. Well, we can keep this little portion here for ourselves, but we can, we, we can look as big and as bold as Barnabas does. Right? Because we did what he did. And so notice, notice what happens. If we just jump forward a little bit down to verse 4, notice what it says. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? In other words, Peter is, is telling Ananias, and he's asking him, hey, Ananias, no one, no one forced you to sell your property, man. Right? No one's compelled you to do this thing. No one said you have to sell your property and you have to give a certain amount. This wasn't compulsory. There's no coercion or compulsion that's taking place here for you to give. Right? What Barnabas did, what the church is doing, right? It's all, um, it was all being done freely and by their own will. You know, and Peter is, is telling Ananias, hey man, this is, this is all, it's your property. You can do what you want with it. If you want to keep a part, part of it back, go ahead and keep a part of it. He's effectively asking him, Ananias, where's your heart in this? What is the purpose of this? You know, and I think this does set an important principle for us in our own, in our own giving you know, that we should give freely, right? And out of our own will. And listen, if someone is compelling you, if it's compulsory, if someone is telling you you have to give and you have to give such, such an amount, we don't find that in Scripture, right? What we find in Scripture is giving is something that takes place in our heart. It's an act of worship where we say, God, this is, it's already yours, so why don't you use it the way you see fit, Right? That's, that's what giving is. And I think Barnabas understood that. I think Barnabas said, hey, you know what? I just want to give this to the Lord. You know, and, and, and as things are distributed, I'll live off of that. I'm fine. But Ananias' heart and Sapphira's heart were, was different. There was something else going on. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's what Barnabas was. I think Barnabas was this cheerful giver where he just said, hey, I've got this piece of property, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to give it to the church, and let the Lord use it as he sees fit. So again, the, the problem isn't that they chose to keep a portion back. 
It's rather more of just a symptom of, of, of a deeper rooted problem. Jump back to verses uh, 3 and 4, right? Uh, back up in verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? And again, while it remained, was it not your own after it was sold? Was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, he says, but to God. So they lied. They lied. And I think the, the Bible is pretty clear on lying, right? I don't think I have to stand here and tell you guys that lying is bad. I hope we know that. I hope we understand that, right? That, that lying hurts people and it, it's, you know, that dishonesty is never a good thing. The Bible condemn, condemns lying repeatedly. You know, in, in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, it says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord. Among the brethren. The Lord doesn't like it when we are dishonest, when we break trust. So, the question I think we have to ask is why did they lie? Why? Right? It was, it was their property. They had every right to do with it what they wanted to. So, why lie? What was the purpose in, in, in lying about this thing? You know, and I think, I think Peter tells us there in verse 3, right? When he asks Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Why has Satan filled your heart to do this thing? See, Peter is recognizing what's really going on here, right? That there is an enemy that is at work and at play. And this really... Shouldn't surprise us, right? I mean, after all, Jesus tells us that, that Satan is the father of lies, right? In fact, in, in John eight forty four, it says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And what's what's dangerous what's dangerous about telling a lie so often it's 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 not always the lie itself that's dangerous but rather that it makes us no longer trustworthy. Right? You lied about that. What else have you lied about? What else can we not trust about you. You see, it ruins a reputation, right? And isn't this what, isn't this what the enemy wants, right? To ruin the reputation of the church, to ruin the reputation of believers, right? Where the enemy can point the finger and say, well, they're dishonest about that. What else are they dishonest about? 
What else are they not being truthful about? What else can't we trust about those Christians? Augustine said, When regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things remain doubtful. When regard for truth has been broken down or even slightly weakened, all things remain doubtful. And is that not what's going on in our world today where you, just, you can't trust anything, right? No matter who says it, you, you scroll on social media, you turn the news on, you don't know what to believe. You don't know who's telling the truth. The encouraging thing for us is that we have the truth, don't we? Right? If it comes from this book, it is truth. And so I think we're seeing the Lord do something kind of strict, kind of harsh, because he's trying to protect his church. And notice, too, it's not just, it's not just that they lied, right? It's not just why they lied, right, because Satan had filled their heart, but notice who they're lying to, right? Peter makes a distinction here. Look back at verses 3. He says, that they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the Holy Spirit, Peter says. Right, so they, I mean, get the picture, right? Bar- I mean, this, this thing is happening within the church, right? They're being persecuted. The enemy's coming against them. They're praying for boldness, right? They're being emboldened, and they, they pull all their resources together and say, all right, let's distribute as we have need, right? Barnabas does this really cool and encouraging thing, Right, Ananias and Sapphira are like, all right, let's do this. Let's sell this property, but let's not tell them what we sold it for. And let's give this portion to the church. Right, so they do this thing where it looks like this is everything we have. Right, but they keep a portion back for themselves and they choose to lie about the price that they sold their property for. The deeper problem here is, is hypocrisy, Right? Notice what Peter says at the end of verse 4. You've not lied to men, but to God. They've lied to the Holy Spirit. They've lied to God, which means what they're doing is... Hypocrisy, it means to act, right? To play a part, right? Literally, in, in the Greek, it meant to put on a mask, right? To be someone that you're not. And that's what they're doing. They're playing this part where they want to look a certain way but yet they're keeping a part of it for themselves, right? They're playing this this acting game. Barnabas sold his land and he brought it to the disciples. In fact, in fact, his name was Joseph. Joseph sold his property and laid it all at the apostles' feet and they named him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement, Right, so you're getting the picture of what might be going on here is all of a sudden, right, Barnabas gets this kind of special name. He's now the son of encouragement, right, because he did this thing, right, that was, I'm sure it was really encouraging for the church, right? Right, but his heart was pure. His motive was pure. And I think Ananias and Sapphira are kind of there going, hey, maybe we can get a cool name too. Right? Maybe we'll be, we'll be the, the giving couple or 
the generous couple or, you know what I mean? Like, they, they, they want a piece of this, but they don't want to let go of everything either, right? So there's this kind of brokenness in their heart, this, his, this hypocrisy that's taking place. Ananias and Sapphira wanted the same recognition that Barnabas got while harboring hypocrisy in their hearts. They wanted to appear more spiritual than they actually are. And I think that's what's happening. They, they want the appearance. Like, like they've got it all. And, and, and this is, like, as I was studying this and considering this, this just hit really hard with me. Because I think this is an issue in all of our hearts, if we're being honest and true with ourselves. You know, that we want to look a certain way in front of certain people. But perhaps when we're in private, maybe we're someone else. You know, and that's, that, that integrity, right? Integrity means that you are the same person in private that you are in public. Right? And as I was thinking about this, right, I can kind of imagine, right, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They're kind of off to themselves, kind of think, you know, all right, let's do this and... Right, you could almost look in like, all right, no, nobody's, nobody's going to hear. You know, and as I was kind of thinking and pondering about this, if you have to kind of look around and consider who might overhear what you're doing or saying, maybe those actions aren't as pure as we'd like them to be. If we're afraid of what someone might say or afraid of what, if they might see or hear, And that's not integrity. Integrity is that we're the same. And integrity says, I don't need to look to the right or to the left. I don't have to be worried about who overhears. I don't have to be worried about who sees. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they conspired this thing in secret. But then they had this big show in public, laying it before the apostles. Look what we've done. Mark 6, verses 1 through 4 says, Take heed that you do your charitable deeds before men to be, seen, um, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do your charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before, um, before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret may reward you openly. You know, this is something that would happen, right? You think of the the widow and her two mites, right? When when she came, and I mean, she, because Jesus says, right, she gave more because she gave out of her abundance, right? Because for everyone else, right, it was, it was this show, and what they would do, right, is they would take their rows, right, they would fill their rows with all of their coins, right, and they would kind of shovel up, and they would just start shoveling it in, right? So it would make all kinds of noise as it went into the shofar, into the temple box, right? It made a big display so everyone could hear how much they were giving, right? And this woman goes over, and she tosses in her two mites, didn't even make a sound, right? But Jesus was there saying she gave more. 
right? Because, right, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything from us. He owns it all. What he wants is our heart. That widow and her two mites, she basically said, you have my heart and you have everything else. It's yours, God. And I think Ananias and Sapphira here have missed something. There's something else I want to consider, too, about this story. And it's not just Ananias and Sapphira, but Peter, right? The discernment regarding this problem. Peter sees right through it. Peter recognizes right away what's going on. God gives Peter discernment regarding this situation. It was Peter that discerned that it was Satan who was involved, right? That, that Satan was in their hearts, it was Peter who uh, discerned that Ananias had, had lied about the price of the land. It was Peter who discerned that they weren't just lying to the disciples, but that they were lying to God himself. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but this encourages me. Because this is Peter we're talking about. Do you guys remember Peter? Do you guys remember the same Peter that I remember from the Gospels? Right, the Peter that rebuked those that were bringing their babies to Jesus. Right, the Peter that sank in the water because he took his eyes off of Jesus. The Peter that argued with the other disciples about who was the greatest. The Peter that refused to let Jesus wash his feet. Right, no, no, not my feet, Lord. You're not going to touch those. The Peter that fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, while Jesus was anguishing before the cross. He's over there sleeping, right? The Peter that got a little overzealous at times, right, cut off Malchus's ear. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times. And this encourages me because If God can give that Peter a discerning heart, he can give us a discerning heart, can he not? He can give us discernment to see what's really going on, to see what's at play. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Solid food. Talking about the word of God. We've been given solid food. We've been given his word so that we can have discernment, so that we can discern what's right and wrong, so we can discern what's good and evil. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we have the word of God that helps us discern things. We have the spirit of God that helps us discern things. What happened, right, as as we've been going through this a few weeks ago? What happened, right? The day of Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon the church. Peter now has the Holy Spirit coming upon him to give him discernment, to see what's happening and understand what's taking place. And guess what? You and I have the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit to 
to empower us, to enable us to discern, to have this same great discernment that Peter has. That's why I can say this morning that you don't need me up here to tell you that lying isn't good. Right? We know that. We have the Holy Spirit convicting us. And so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God empowers us, enables us as we read his word. Right? Enables us and empowers us to do that which we are called to do. I believe it was uh, John Bunyan who has been credited for saying, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that's always been a profound statement for me as I just consider, if I'm having a hard time, if I'm struggling to read God's word, what is going on in my life? That perhaps maybe I need to take some inventory. But if I'm spending time in this book, if I'm reading his word, right, that conviction is there. And perhaps spend less time in sin and more time in his word. Because this is the constant struggle, right? Paul talked about this all the time. The things I will to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And man, that resonates with me. Well, we have to hurry. The second thing we need to consider this morning is not just the problem in the church, but the purging that takes place in the church. Right? There's a purging that, t- that, t- that takes place. Here we see God purging, purifying, cleansing his church of hypocrisy. And so when we consider when God purges or when God cleanses, when God purifies his church, we see in our text two things take place. And I'm just going to be frank with you, we're not going to like them. It's not an easy thing to talk about. Because the fact of the matter is, is, In this case, when God purifies his church, when he purges his church, death takes place. When we look at verse 5, it says, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. Boom, right there on the spot. He lies to the Holy Spirit, and the Lord takes him. Verse 6 says, And the young men arose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. Right? And this was typical, typical Jewish fashion, right? They didn't want the, the body to, to stay, right? Had to get in the ground, had to wrap it up and, and bury him the same day. And then, about three hours later, his wife, right? So here comes Sapphira. She doesn't know what happens. Interesting, right? They don't tell her. Nobody says, hey, uh, Sapphira, your, your husband's gone. Right? It's been three hours. He's been in the ground for three hours. So she comes in not knowing what had happened, and Peter answers her and says, tell me whether or not you sold the land for so much. You know, Peter's gotten a lot of flack for this question. Right? Because, I mean, after all, Peter, I mean, we just talked about this, right? He had discernment. He knew, right, that Ananias was lying about the amount. Peter knows the answer to the question. And many people have kind of given Peter flack for asking what they call a leading question, right? He already knew how much 
she sold the land for. Which then begs the question, why ask the question in the first place? Why ask the question? Was Peter setting her up? Was this a trap? Well, we got Ananias, let's get his wife too. No, I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think that's Peter's heart at all. No, I don't think it's a leading question. I think Peter is giving her an opportunity. He's giving her the opportunity to repent, to do the right thing, to confess. I think this was an open door for Sapphira. This was an open door to not have the same fate that her husband had. Her opportunity to tell the truth, to be honest, not just before Peter, but to be honest before the Lord. Right? This was a leading question to say, hey, where's your heart, Sapphira? Where do you land on this? Remember in the Garden of Eden? Right? Adam has sinned. And there's Adam hiding from God. Right? And God asks the question, Adam, where are you? I mean, that's a leading question, is it not? God knows exactly where he is, right? And then when he gets to Adam, he says, Adam, what have you done? God knows what he's done. God's well aware where, of where Adam is and what Adam has done. That's why he's in the garden looking for him, right? Why ask the question? To give the opportunity for confession. To repent, to get right with God. Now, unfortunately for Sapphira, she failed. She had the opportunity and she missed it. Look at the end of verse 8. She says, Yes, for so much. Peter, you got the number absolutely right. That was the number. So Peter says to her, How is it that you have agreed together? To test the spirit of the Lord. Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. So immediately she fell down at his feet, breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her out, and buried her by her husband. So the the purging, the cleansing, the purifying of the church resulted in death. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because you might be thinking, you know, that, geez, God, that seems a little harsh. I mean, was that really, I mean, necessary? I mean, really, I mean, it was just kind of like a white lie, right? Like, I mean, they just wanted to keep a little bit for themselves, hang on to a portion I mean, after all, what they were doing was a good thing, right? I mean, they were giving to the church. They were like, hey, you know, everyone's pulling their resources together. Here's some of our resources. I mean, it wasn't really hurting anyone, was it? Why so harsh? And I think think what's happening here is this is, it points to the importance of God judging sin. Because listen, the fact of the matter is God is not soft on sin. He is not soft on sin. I mean, you might be thinking this morning, well, you know, I'm getting away with a few things myself. 
right? There's, there's some things in my life the Lord's been lenient with me on. I've been telling some lies. But I can tell you this morning, it is not because God is soft on sin. No. It's because God is long-suffering towards us. Right? Scripture says that he is not willing that any should perish, but should come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9. Right. He's, he's not soft on sin. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us. So in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 11, says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea, right? They passed through the Red Sea following Moses. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Right? They, they passed through the Red Sea, right? And as they were there in the wilderness, right? Moses went up on the mountain. What was happening at the foot of the mountain? Right? They, they tossed some gold in the fire, and this lamb just popped out. It was weird. Moses, you should have been there. Things just came out. Right? And they're worshiping this, this golden calf. It says, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became, listen, these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. He says, do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them were also complaining and were destroyed by the destroyer. And look at verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. You know, sometimes the Lord has to do hard things, right? And Paul is talking about that to the church in Corinth, right? 23,000 people died, right? How many people came out of the wilderness? It was Joshua and Caleb, right? An entire generation died in the wilderness. And Paul says, for our example, for our admonition, you know, sometimes the Lord has to do hard things and sometimes we have to go through things that are difficult to be the example maybe for somebody else. Have you ever asked that question to yourself? I mean, I hear this all the time when I talk with, with people, especially you know, some of my coworkers and stuff when they're, well, I don't believe in God. I mean, if God really exists, how could a good God allow such bad things to happen, right? I mean, if God is really there and if he's really good, then Why? You know, and I, and I can t- I can stand here this morning and say I've gone through some hard things in my life. That I don't necessarily have the answer for. Sorry. 
other than to maybe be an example for somebody else. To maybe admonish someone else, but hey man, I've been there. I know what you're going through. Can I stand with you in this? Can I be there for you? How can I pray for you? How can I minister for you? Listen, <clears throat> the byproduct of sin is always death. That's it. The byproduct of sin is always death, right? What, is, what does Paul say in Romans 6, 20, uh, 23, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. God is not soft on sin. He will deal with it. It must be dealt with. And our choice, right, our options is, is death or it's our acceptance on Jesus' death. Right? Right, to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? There was Jesus asking his father the question, if there is any other way right as he looked ahead to the cross knowing what was coming he he didn't want to go he didn't want to go through what he was about to go through any other way let this cup pass from me nevertheless my will be done right the only byproduct of sin is death And for us, for those of us that that know the Lord and trust him, we accept his death. He paid the penalty for us, but death still had to happen. There is good news, family. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion, over you. Well, the purging, the purifying of the church. But there's also fear. Look again at verse 5, right? For great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And then down in verse 11, it says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And rightfully so, right? You can kind of imagine, like, well, that was, that was a pretty harsh and crazy thing that happened. Right? I mean, for those that were there and witnessing that, right? I mean, Ananias, boom, just God dealt with it there on the spot. And as I think about that, I can't help but think about how important it is for us, right, to be open and forthright with the Lord. He wants us to be open and honest with him, right? He's there in the garden looking, asking for Adam Not because he was curious about what happened. He wanted to hear from Adam, just like he wants to hear from us. He knows our sins. He knows what we're going through. He knows our struggles. None of that's a secret to him. What he wants is our heart. What he wants is our confession to say, Hey, God, Father, I messed up again. He doesn't want us to put on some false facade Right? Put on the mask and say, hey, everything's fine. Everything's good here. 
That's what hypocrisy is. Right? When we live one way and then we come to church on Sunday and we put this mask on and say, okay, I'm, i got to be a Christian today, at least for these couple hours. I can't let anybody know what I'm really dealing with. You know, but that's, that's not the truth of it, is it? You know, and Jesus talked about that, right? The church is not for the healthy, right? We all know that we have problems. We come here because we need him. We come here because we need to confess. We come here because we need to come before our God in heaven. We need to stop acting, pretending. That's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They were pretending. They were trying to be more spiritual than they actually were. Well, the third point It's not just the problem in the church, not just the purging in the church, but the power that we see in the church, right? We see this great power happening in in, in verses 12 through 16, and it involves things like signs and wonders. In verse 12, it says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were with one accord in Solomon's porch. So they're, they're together. They're all there, there in Solomon's porch. And signs and wonders are taking place. Listen, now that the hypocrisy has been removed, now that the church has been purged, now that sin has been dealt with, they're seeing power in the church. They're seeing signs and wonders taking place. And listen, I believe that God is still in the business of doing signs and wonders. God still wants to move. He still wants to work, but he wants to work through a church that is pure, that has been purged. You might be wondering this morning, why don't we see many signs and wonders taking place? We might be asking the question this morning, where is God? Where's the Spirit of the Lord? Is he moving? And I think, if I can be so bold this morning, that there is a direct correlation between the lack of signs and wonders and the abundance of sin and hypocrisy. It's been said that we shouldn't pray for more power, but rather we should pray for less sin. I heard a pastor once say, if I didn't have... uh, I heard a pastor once say that if it weren't for confessing my sins, I wouldn't have much of a prayer life. You know, and I think that's important that we keep a short account with God, that we be confessing our sins. Listen, he knows we're not perfect. We haven't arrived. But I think the Lord would rather move and work through a people that have pure hearts towards him. And if we're walking around living in hypocrisy, it makes it very difficult for him to move. It makes it very difficult for him to show signs and wonders. And these signs and these wonders, the things, the power that's going on within the church, it involves both sinners and believers. 
Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, Yet none of the rest dared join them. It says, The people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So there are, there are people, right, that are holding the apostles in, in high esteem, but it says they don't join them. You know, maybe like Ananias and Sapphira, they're holding something back themselves, and they're like, well, that seems a bit extreme for me. That seems a bit much. Maybe perhaps they're afraid of the same fate. Maybe they're taking some inventory themselves saying, hey, you know, I don't want to end up like Ananias and Sapphira did. Maybe they're unwilling to confess their sin. Maybe they're unwilling to acknowledge their own sin. And so they're saying, you know what? You guys do your thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back. Unfortunately, I think, I think there's a lot of people today that have fallen into that same line of thinking. To, to be content in our sin rather than getting right with God. It's just easier. It's just easier to live in my sin. I mean, I'm managing okay. I'm doing all right. You know, the world we live in today, it has a way of it has a way of making sin look fun and glamorous. Well, the truth of the matter is it's not going to look that fun. It's not going to look that glamorous when God is judging the world of its sin and its rejection of him. But also in verse 14, notice it says that believers were increasingly being added to the Lord. Right? That there is a move of God. There is power happening because there is purity in the church. And listen, it wasn't because they're in their fancy building. They're on Solomon's porch. Right? It wasn't because of their fancy building and their smoke machines and their fancy light show. It wasn't because of the great programs that they had put in place, the large events. It wasn't because they rented out some giant arena, right, and they got the full band and the production team going. No, they're getting saved. People are coming to the Lord because the church is pure. The church has been cleansed. It's being displayed there in the body of Christ. And this, church, is the responsibility that we have to show what it means, to show what it looks like to belong to the Lord. You know, I was in a Bible study once. And, I mean, the study was over, but we're all just kind of hanging out. We're, just, we're talking, we're fellowshipping, we're talking about, you know, the things the Lord was doing in our lives. And someone in the group just kind of stopped, and she was like, I don't, I don't know what you guys have, but I want it. There's something different, and I want what you guys have. And, you know, we got to stop and share the gospel with her and pray with her, and she accepted the Lord, and it was just such, such a beautiful thing to be able to sit and say, what we have is Jesus. That's what's different. That's, 
That's our common bond. You know, and the fact of the matter is we, we can disagree about anything. But we need to come together on the person and the work of Jesus. If we don't have him in common, right, we belong to him. And it's such an encouraging thing to be in a body of believers and to see someone and go, I don't have that, but I want it. That joy and that peace that's in your life, I want that. I need that. Well, the last thing as we bring this to the close in verses 15 and 16 It says that they brought the sick into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. I mean, there is a move of God happening. People are are getting healed, right? That the sick are being lined up on the streets just so that the shadow of Peter as he was walking by might heal them. People are being healed, both physically and spiritually. And I would argue the spiritual part is the more important part. Right? But God is doing something on physically as well because faith is being exercised. Right? What about this whole shadow thing? That seems kind of weird, huh? I mean, shadow, I mean, Peter just walking by, and if his shadow would be cast upon these sick people, that, that they get healed. You know, in ancient times, people believed that a person's shadow represented the power of that person, right? The core of that individual, who they were. So if they were a good person or a bad person, right? The, the goodness of that person was kind of... Um, So they would sometimes walk in people's shadows, right? But they would try and walk in in, in a good person's shadows. You didn't want to walk in a bad person's shadow, right? Psalm 17, 8 says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings, right? We want to be under God's shadow, under his influence, under his power and protection, Right, Psalm 36, 7 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Right, being under the shadow of God, the shadow of God's wings means we're under his protection, we're, we're under his provision. And so here in our text, right, dealing with, with healing, this listen, these people aren't being healed because there's some supernatural power in Peter's shadow. No, but what I think is happening is that they have faith in the God that Peter has put his faith in. Right? That they recognize something different about Peter. Right? Much like, you know, being in in that, that room in that Bible study and that woman sitting there going, hey, something different. I want what you guys have. Right? It was tangible in the room that night. And she wanted it. And I think these people are there going, there was something tangible about Peter and about his faith. There's something about these apostles, these, these men and women that have been in touch with Jesus. They're changed. They're different. There's power there. They witnessed Peter's faith in God and his ability to heal them. 
Because their faith is, it was executed because they believed in Peter's God. Right? The God that could heal them. The God that could change Peter could certainly change them. And I think the point is that God wants to heal us. You know, and, and, and you know, we're all going through things, and, and perhaps this morning we have some, some physical ailments that we're going through, and God may want to heal us. But I know he wants to heal us spiritually. I know he wants to meet our spiritual need. He wants to meet our greatest need. Right? And that is our spiritual separation from him. And there is power. There is power in the name of Jesus. If we would just cry out to him, call out to him, and confess our sins, right? He is faithful and he is just to forgive us. And so, yes, there are problems in the church. And yes, at times there can be purging in the church. But there is also power in the church. If we would but come to him and accept him this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you. We praise you this morning, God, for who you are. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are still working in your church. And, God, this morning we just want to confess, Lord, because you already know we are not perfect. We make mistakes, Lord. Lord, I mess up on a daily basis. And so, God, this morning I just... I want to confess. I want to confess my sins before you and I want to come to a place of of purity in my life where I'm spending time seeking you, desiring to be closer to you so that your power can go forth, so that your spirit can move. God, we long and desire for a move of your spirit, Lord. And Lord, you know. Lord, we're, we're here every week on Wednesdays praying for a move of your spirit, praying for another great revival, Lord, praying that you would move in this city, in this community, in this place. So God, if there are problems, would you address them? God, so that your power can move in this place. God, we thank you, we praise you this morning. God, we just want to say we love you so much. And God, we need you in our lives. So go before us the rest of today. Guide our steps and our paths. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.